Hello, everybody, and welcome to PlantTherapy.Live. We are back with you again for another week. My name is Ray. And I'm Pache. And we have some more uh, great conversation to continue again this week. Um, hey, I just did want to remind everybody that we are on Spotify and iHeartRadio, and you can find all the links on our website at PlantTherapy.Live, and uh, you can listen directly from the website now. And we do this live every week. Pache? I am loving it. Every Sunday night, you'll find us here. And uh, make sure you tune in, subscribe. Love it. PlantTherapy.live on Facebook. And we talk about our products and experiences with them. And we're not sponsored in any way by any company. We always keep it real uh, at PlantTherapy.live. And uh, we're continuing uh, our series here on some basic grow information. Uh, some equipment and environment and growing styles as we, as we move through the weeks. But I, I did uh, have a look at some of our analytics, uh, Pache, so you'll be interested to know that we now have listeners uh, from Belgium, uh, Ireland, the U.S., and Quebec, and Nova Scotia as well. So, oh, we, cool. yeah, we get indicators on a map uh, as we get listeners uh, across the different Very areas. Cool. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, and this week... Well, hello to everyone. Yeah, hello to everybody. Uh, and a uh, special shout out this week to uh, some listeners in the USA, uh, God Country, Two Speedy One, and Turtle. Shout out to you boys. And uh, our topics tonight... Uh, as we get deeper into this uh, GROW series, is uh, environment. We're going to talk about some environment stuff, which is super important. Uh, some nutrient uh, talk, and got some, some some stuff we've been using. We're going to talk a little bit about that we've mentioned before, uh, and s- kind of how to identify some deficiencies. Uh, and then some kind of growing styles, if we have time at the end. Again, it's another beefy episode. Uh, lots to talk about, but first... A uh, little question for you there, Pache. You were a little, uh, you know, you and I are a little late this week getting on the air. It seems some. <laughs> it seems somebody may have forgotten their anniversary. Well, no, I, I definitely did not forget my anniversary. One hundred percent. That is a lie. That is not true. Um, I just happened to schedule a show on Sundays, and my anniversary fell on a Sunday this year. And, uh, yeah, next time that happens to one of us, we should um, maybe go live on Saturday or something like that. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe uh, any other day. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Anyway. But I'm here. Absolutely. The show must go on. Yeah. So how are you? I'm doing good, man. I, uh, I'm doing really good. I, uh, my grow is going really well. I, I've got four little purple kush, and they are into their fifth week now. And so I've, uh, last week, last weekend, I topped them, and we'll get into that very shortly this episode, and this week I started low-stress training and bending and and tying them down, uh, because I want to shape them a certain way, and we'll talk about my, or not mine, uh, but I use a mainlining manifolding technique from Nug Buckets, and so we'll be talking about that later on today, or tonight, and... um, yeah, so things are going really well there, and I got a new order, <clears throat> some neem oil, and I'm nice. uh, got some more pest strips, so just to keep my arsenal full of weapons. Yeah, are the are the fungus gnats still a thing? <clears throat> still a thing, or they're still around, but they are they they feel a lot more manageable. I feel like they're the whole situation is trending in the right direction. 
Good. Awesome. And uh, have you tried uh, Thelma and Louise yet? Curious to know. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so I have tried. Thelma and Louise is, well, they were my second grow. And uh, the White Widow strain, same as the first. And yes, I have tried. So just, uh, just, been... just hold on. So just to recap, right? You, this is Thelma and Louise that you harvested at 65 days, if I remember correctly. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yep. So go ahead. So I, I let the, trichom, the trichomes um, amber a little bit more because I wanted to try a difference between the 60-day and the 65-day and see if there was a little bit more couch lock, a little bit more sedation, um, just so I can have some choice, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, something for, you know, uh, late in the evening or, you know, whether you're going to go out and play some golf or something like that, you know, it really depends. Um yeah, so uh, things are going really well there. It's uh, it tastes so it tastes so sweet. It smells so sweet, and I am just loving it, man. I really am. I'm not tired of it yet. Did, did you get the 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 feeling that you're looking for though? Is it more of a coach uh, coach lock? Uh, like, I don't like. No, did you get what I you wanted out, that... out of the wait in the five days this time? Because I wonder, is five days enough? Right? I mean, maybe. Maybe it needs to be pushed a little more next time around. Yeah, like, you know, I might have been able to tell if it was 55 days versus 65 days. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm noticing very little difference. And, and also my tolerance, because I've now been, I've been smoking that strain for a few months. So now my tolerance, I feel, has also been building up. Right. Um, so I'm, I am looking forward to, uh, to harvesting and curing the purple kush and then i move on to the next one it's always i'm always now looking forward to the next one i find yeah you motivated me to to, to to you know same kind of situation i'm getting a little bit bored now with the uh with the white widow um so i'll be looking at other things as well but, but we'll talk about that um myself i did have a, a pretty good week uh, some of my nugs are off to a really nice start um, that mint chocolate chip, geez, it's just the the branches are already starting to to bend under the under the weight, and like we're just into week five, um, so it's been uh, great to kind of watch that happen. They're rock solid. Um, I touched a few of them today and squeezed them up. And, uh, that's what you want. Oh yeah, man. just uh, super happy. Um, are they getting frosty? They're just starting to really get frosty now, although. Just like last time, the frost kind of comes a little bit later as the, the, and it's weird because I'm not used to seeing, you know, nugs that are that big and dense <laughs> uh, without that many crystals on them just yet. Like they're still just starting to really form. So, Ooh, yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah, it is a pretty exciting. Yeah. But, and the White Widow is just grown just strong and steady, just like White Widow does. Um, so was in today and, and got some care done. Um, that, pH water treatment that I've been doing to keep that little bit of powdery mm -hmm. mildew that seems to really be keeping things at bay so I've just con Sweet. continued with that um, so that's kind of been working well for me um, you know but as I work on them I, I just uh, I'd love to have a, the ability to be able to do a scrog that's the missing piece to my equation I'm just so used to working with a scrog mm -hmm. uh, not having the ability to use one uh, in my current situation just yet is really uh, bothering me it's uh cousin <laughs> i i wish for it all the time so i'm gonna have to come up with a plan there uh and of course, like tomato cages or something like that or well it's just i'd have to either move to like a recirculating system so the plants wouldn't you know 
so I wouldn't have to move the plants and fill the buckets and, and whatnot manually. I mean, that's an option. I don't really want to go down that road because I like to keep everything clean and I'm used to cleaning things once a week and, um, or at least once every two weeks. So I want to continue that, but it's the, it's moving the plants to get the, you know, you'd have to have almost like if you elevate, Either way, that's a topic of another conversation. Uh, we have an action-packed uh, episode tonight with... Yeah, with, that's right. We don't want to get yeah. put in a rabbit hole. So, <laughs> again, we're going to get into all that stuff because uh, it's important to talk about. And I know there's people out there that make the transition from uh, soilless mixture to hydroponics, DWC specifically, and then run into these types of hurdles. So let's figure something out and we'll kind of see if, uh, if we can get to the bottom of that one. Um, you know, and lots of people in my life too, um, Pache, have been, you know, r- reaching out. I've been having some conversations uh, with some some people on the back end. So, uh, you know, I've got some exciting th- things happening. Um, you know, some, some uh, irons in the fire. Yeah, so maybe more to come on that as uh, as we mm-hmm. move forward. Um, but really, we should be getting into environment, right? Environment is everything, man. You know, that's such a key piece, right? I mean, we've worked kind of through the different the different parts that you need you know the different tools that you need and the the tents and the lights and um you know fans and and, and things like that um you know all the pieces right you know and all of these components you, you know the purpose of, of buying them is to control the environment um you know so that's the ultimate goal right plants grow naturally outdoors and generally plants that grow outdoors have higher thresholds um, they can take a larger amount of abuse um, because it's just it's it's the consistency of the environment outdoors that that they get used to uh, and they can roll with mother nature as they move along right um, we don't necessarily get the same graces indoors um, there's lots of benefits to growing in- indoors because you can specifically control your environment absolutely but if you don't do it correctly you can really start to have problems. So that's the type of things we're going to get into, um, you know, this episode here. Uh, And, you know, the big thing I want to say about environment first, um, you know, there's nothing worse than than getting so far into it uh, and then ending ending up with a plant that turns hermaphrodite um, because of stress conditions in the environment. And just in case anybody is not aware of what a hermaphrodite uh, is in in cannabis uh it's basically when when a plant gets so much stress it releases a uh, enzyme it basically it's a defense so the the plant will pollinate itself it'll grow a male pollen sac and 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 pop that open and pollinate itself in an effort to continue its genetic for the following year it's a defense mechanism that the plant uses so um, you want to try to avoid that because one pollen sac in a grow room can 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 do a um, you know a, a big amount of damage and completely um, cause lots of problems with your crop. I mean, a lot of the time you can still process it into something else, but uh, the, the seeds need to be removed. And if it's really bad, you know, it can be a real difficult situation. You can get tons of seeds out of just one uh, large uh, flower. So. Uh, just a few things that we wanted to touch on that, and that's what makes environment uh, so important, you know. And, and there's a couple of things in the environment that we have to control. Uh, you know, the very first uh, thing I guess we'll get into would be air temperature. 
A um, couple of things I wanted to touch on, you know, with outdoors, like I said, it's the consistency of the environment outdoors and it's the temperature swings in the day and the temperature swings in the late night and, and early morning hours. The plant gets adapted to that and gets used to that. So sometimes the, the temperature outdoors can swing from 50 degrees uh, Fahrenheit to 90 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Uh, what's that in Celsius, Pache? Uh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit? Uh, 50 to 90. Like 10 to 30 range, I guess, in Celsius. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I'd say. So, yeah. So, up to 90, you're up to like 32 degrees Celsius. Yeah. I'm in the habit of talking in Fahrenheit uh, for our Canadian listeners. It's just something, <laughs> I don't know why. Just For Canadian listeners, I bet can uh, can go back and forth pretty easy. To be honest, when I was learning about growing, a lot of the information I was learning was from people on U.S. sites. Uh, and so I just kind of adapted the Fahrenheit's uh, for, you know, for, for, for growing. But I know there's lots of people out there that talk in Celsius, so we'll try to get those numbers in, not to kind of over-confuse everything. Um, but yeah, 50, de- 50 degrees Fahrenheit to 90 degrees Fahrenheit can be the swings outdoors or more. Uh, 10 degrees to 30 degrees Celsius here in the East Coast or more. Um, you know, so the plant gets ad- adapted to to that and, and can do quite well uh, outdoors. Uh, with indoors, though, I'll be honest, the, the plant can take cold temperatures and the plant can take warm temperatures. They really can. Um, but it's the swings between the two that really cause the, the, the biggest discomfort to a plant, right? The stresses. Yeah. So you want to keep your, your temperature swings quite, quite tight. Um, you know, indoors, you're kind of looking at 65 degrees Fahrenheit to 76 degrees Fahrenheit. And that range is pretty much golden. Uh, that's about 18 to 24 degrees Celsius um, for our people in Celsius. Um, you know, and basically people use, you know, heaters and air conditioners uh, to, to control the, the, the air temperature um, in a grow tent uh, or a grow room. Um, and they basically get controllers, right? And they just set the controller up in the grow room. I think Inkbird make, makes a, a pretty uh, standard controller that a lot of people use. You connect a heater to one, you connect an air conditioner to another, and then you set the thresholds. Uh, and as your grow room gets outside of the parameters that you set, these devices will kick on to keep your air temperature within the range that you set. So um, a lot of automation happens with that. Um, some people do do it manually, and that's fine if it works for you. Um, but I just wanted to kind of touch a little bit about, uh, you know, air temperature indoors, because if you're getting into the sixties, you know, or low sixties, and then you're getting up into the high eighties, um, you know, or if you're getting out, you know, down to 14 degrees Celsius, up to 26 degrees Celsius, 27 degrees Celsius, that's something you got to watch. Those swings are just too much and your plant will appreciate the consistency of the temperatures that you put in place as opposed to to those big swings so just so you say whatever you're growing at you want to sort of stay within let's say 10 degrees of each other no more than that yeah or less you know a a, a little less even even better um it's just you want to keep that tight right your plant will just will thank you in the end and it'll be a lot healthier not having to deal with uh with big swings so just a few things about that and uh you know another thing uh, uh, about the temperature of the water right that's something else you also have to be very careful of um a lot of the time you know people are are, are pouring fresh water and watering with right away 
Um, and sometimes that stuff can be really cool. It can be, you know, 10 degrees or something, and then you go into a 27-degree grow room and start watering. You know, that can be a, a little bit stressful to the roots as well. So that's something else you want to consider. Uh, and if you're using water anyway, you should be waiting a period of time for the chlorine to evaporate off of the water, and we'll get into that another time. But I just wanted to hit the point on uh, for hydroponics, for your, for your reservoir temperatures, for your water temperatures. Um, you know, as low as 60 degrees Fahrenheit, um, because that'll give you the most amount of dissolved oxy oxygen available uh, in, in, in the water, the lower the temperature. But I wouldn't go lower than 60 because you could then get, get into a situation where your roots aren't growing as, efficient, as efficiently because the water's so cold. So uh, anything over 74 degrees Fahrenheit, and you're basically starting to create the perfect, uh, the perfect environment for root rot. Uh, so, uh, 60 to 74 degrees Fahrenheit would be your range, uh, and I wouldn't operate outside of that. Um, and then, of course, that sums up air temperature. Uh, so, with those thresholds, if you can't control that manually, I suggest that you, that you get one of these controllers and get that working for you. Hang the sensor in your grow room and set your parameters, and then you wouldn't have to worry about this uh, moving forward. Um, another thing, you know, big thing, lots of times, Pache, I can't tell you how many times somebody says to me, Ray, can you come over and, and have a look at my grow and, and give me some advice? And I walk in and the, the, the humidity just hits you right in the face. Yeah, that'll do it, man. It's, um, you know, that's a big problem that, that I see. And, you know, your, your plants aren't happy when the humidity is, uh, is way outside of whack. Um, for vegetative growth, we kind of like to keep it around 60, 60 percent, um, usually a pretty good range, 55 to 60 percent. You know, you can even go as low as 50. Um, I'm in a situation now where I get to 45 sometimes in, uh, in, in vegetative, uh, and that doesn't seem to be too, too, too bad. Um, but we'll monitor that. Um, I suppose that's also dependent on the strain, too, as as well right yeah exactly and you know they call it they call it, they don't it's not actually humidity right it's called relative humidity and that's the part that i guess we have to acknowledge because as your temperature changes the amount of uh water that the air can hold changes too so that's why they call it relative humidity because it, it it's relative to to the temperature so um you know you can have humidity problems if your temperature is doing a big swing right uh, and that can cause problems as well. Um, so you want to keep an eye on that. If you're consistently running over 60% uh, humidity, then you're going to welcome powdery mildew. And um, that's something that uh, we'll talk about in airflow as well. But with powdery mildew, um, you know, once you get it, it can be very difficult to completely eradicate. Uh, so you want to be really careful um, with that. And if, as long as you can keep your humidity within those parameters, then um, it, it's going to be difficult for powdery mildew to set in. Um, and another thing too, right, the sensors. It's the quality of the sensors that you use. Uh, a lot of times, and I've done it myself, you know, stop at the dollar store and pick up a humidity sensor and whatever the case may be, use it for something, and then only to come to find out that it's not accurate at all. It's given you, you know, it's 9% off or 12% off, and I see it all the time. So um, environment's really important. So it's really important for you to have properly calibrated equipment and, and equipment that's designed to do the job. And 
Inkbird. And again, not sponsored by Inkbird in any way. It's just they're one of the companies that really took on to, to cannabis controls and sensors and, and whatnot for the home grower. And it, they sell relatively inexpensive, uh, high-quality equipment that's generally uh, lasts quite a bit of time. So they've got the market, uh, you know, coiled up. Uh, for sensors and whatnot and uh, I've purchased some of their equipment I have a little hub and I purchased different sensors one for vegetative one for flowering uh, and that information I can review remotely through the hub through an app that's installed on my phone and I can set thresholds and it will alarm me if uh, if one of my uh, variables for um, the environment gets out of whack and then I can make an appropriate adjustment to get that done right so i do recommend stuff like that uh, when you're fine-tuning your your environment um, because getting accurate information is probably one of the most important things there's nothing worse than getting inaccurate information and then you can't resolve uh, a specific issue and i've dealt with sensors myself that are um, you know you get them brand new but they are way off sometimes you can calibrate them uh, to get them working sometimes um, you know you don't realize it right away unless you have a secondary device to check that against and that's something I've been doing a lot of is having two different devices and just cross-referencing the two of them uh, to make sure they're you know within the same range um, which I think is an, an important uh, to put on everybody's uh, radar, right, when it comes to growing, to keep that stuff in mind, especially when you're, you know, uh, trying to fine-tune variables. It's super important to make sure your, your equipment's calibrated. So, Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, pH pen, too. Make sure you're using storage solution when you're uh, when you're storing your 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 pen right because those probes once they get dehydrated they can become quite inaccurate and that's something common as well that uh, you know um, I see so they specifically sell storage solution just to, on a side note uh, and the the pens are have caps on them that are actually designed to hold fluid so you put them back on uh, and again that's something we'll talk about we'll do a device calibration kind of um, you know uh, segment moving forward uh, not to get sidetracked uh, from humidity um, but you know for the most part uh, your humidity will get high and then you'll have to use a dehumidifier to lower it down um, sometimes people you know have to use especially in like the west coast uh, of the u.s or central u.s uh, in canada and stuff where the humidity is quite low sometimes people have to use humidifiers to humidify the air um, but it's not as common as dehumidifiers because as the plants naturally respirate um, you know they release uh, moisture into the air so having a way to get rid of that moisture is imperative so most people do use dehumidifiers myself i use one pot jay you're using two yeah i've got two in my garage and um it's been so humid here in uh, in the northeast that uh, i've got both of them running right now and sometimes what i'll do is i'll have one dehumidifier running and i'll run the ac because one of them is an ac dehumidifier combo mm -hmm. Um, so just try, try to keep the temperature in line as well as the humidity, you know, it's a, it's that balancing act, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, and it can cause a lot of problems if it's not monitored correctly, right? Um, so powdery mildew and mold are the two ones that really get brought on by uh, high humidity. Um, there's some of the apps, like one of the apps that I use, it's, uh, I've got a sensor in my tent and it, it keeps track of hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, and so if something happens, you can always go back and see, you know, oh, wow, I can see a spike overnight. 
you know, something happened. Right. Um, so these are, are good things, not only for preventative, but for also going back and diagnosing. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. With the Inkbird app that I have on my phone, I can d- download all the historical data and it will show me a, a graph with the time, with it. the time frames in daily, uh, weekly, monthly. And I can use that to look at the trends, just like you're saying there. So it, it's a great feature. Uh, and it really allows you to have a hard copy of the data as opposed to just looking at it. And uh, it's easy to do, right? I mean, it's better than typing it into your phone every day when you go have a look and uh, keep a track of the data manually. So um, good stuff there. Uh, then, of course, uh, another big thing, right? I mean, we breathe in oxygen and we emit CO2 when when we breathe out, but plants do the direct opposite. Cannabis is no different, um, breathes in CO2. Right. So if we don't have a constant supply of uh, fresh air coming into the, the grow room, um, you know, we have to supplement. Otherwise, the, the, the plant can't uh, grow as efficiently as possible because it can't, uh, you know, breathe as quickly as possible. So CO2 is really important, um, you know, and it. It does come in the fresh air, and for the most part, there's a half-decent supply of CO2 in fresh air, so as long as you can keep the air moving through the tent uh, pretty quickly or your grow room pretty quickly, uh, you can replenish that. Um, Some people run a closed system, though, uh, and what a closed system is is it does not bring in fresh air. It it basically uses devices like a humidifier, dehumidifier, uh, a heater, an air conditioner, and a CO2 generator, and does not take air in or out of the tent. The CO2 generator generates the CO2, and uh, everything else is controlled by those devices. And that's quite popular. For people that are big into CO2, they really have to really have uh, a closed system in order to do it as efficiently as possible, Uh, especially if you're using CO2 tanks because they can be cumbersome to go get and refill and get back and hook up, and it gets monotonous after a while. Uh, and depending on the size of your grow, sometimes those tanks can go pretty quick. Um, you know, so way to go in some cases is to use like a CO2 generator, which some people use, um, to completely replenish it. But big, big part of the environment is CO2. Um, the plants will generally like a higher concentration of CO2 once they get into flowering. Uh, and a lot of people that use CO2 will, will kind of get into it really heavy then. Uh, and they'll raise the PPMs of CO2 to get the most efficient growth as possible. Um, but one thing I noticed with working with CO2, um, Pache, is uh, it likes, you know, a higher temperature, right? O- yeah, I noticed that as well. O- outside of the uh, normal threshold of what we're working with, right? It, it generally, they want you to kind of turn it up a little bit, right? Make it a little bit warmer. Uh, and generally that gives you the best effect, right? Cause it's like, it needs a little more, everything needs a little more water. Cause that's, that's the thing given the plant CO2 is going to allow it to kind of metabolize faster. And when it metabolizes faster, the byproduct of that is, is this is going to need more water. It's going to need more food. You know, it's going to need, uh, additional things. Heat is one of them, uh, you know, maximizes light efficiency is another one. So uh, interesting things there. I wanted, though, um, you to kind of talk about the uh, homemade generator that you kind of set up there, Apache. You want to take a second and... Yeah, absolutely. So if uh, if you look on the screen, so I picked up this little uh, kit. It's a uh, little CO2 generator kit off Amazon, you know, 27 bucks. 
Uh, again, not a sponsor at all, um, but I used it and I like it, and so I'm sharing it. And so all I do is I take uh, two bottles, two pop bottles, soda pop bottles, and uh, empty, and then you put in the key ingredients are baking soda and citric acid. And so in I ordered the citric acid online, uh, baking soda I picked up at Bulk Burn, and uh, so 200 grams uh, going into one bottle, and then another 200 grams of the citric acid going in the other, and then you pour in uh, just water, 200 grams in the baking soda, so it's a one-to-one -one mix, and then uh, 600 mils of water into the citric acid, so it's a one-to-three mix, and uh, and then you hook up this little unit here that that I picked up, and it's got a pressure gauge on it, and it's got all the tubing you need, and you just run the, the tubing inside the tent, and then when it's when it's time to go and the light comes on in the morning, because um, you don't want to run the CO2 generator at night, you want to run it while the, the light is on and, and all the um, variables that you just described are, are in balance. And you turn the CO2 on and, uh, and the tent's all zipped up, of course. The heat will, the temperature will rise. And uh, I like to make sure that there's, you know, lots of water in the soil. Not soaked, of course, but uh, enough to make sure that everything remains in balance in that environment. So if the CO2 goes up, um, you know, light intensity can be uh, increased, uh, water can be increased, transpiration is going to increase, and the plants are going to get that extra, I don't know what, 5-10% uh, extra, and you keep adding 5 or 10% extra here and there and everywhere, you're going to have yourself a nice, uh, a nice yield at the end. Yeah, and I mean, I like these these little types of setups. I've seen them commonly uh, on the internet. There's other things like this that you can purchase. Um, there's uh, a premix that you kind of put together and you set them up in the grow room. I forget exactly what they're called right now. Um, those little bags, those little CO2 bags. Yeah, those are different ones. There's a couple of different kinds. Those ones are like organic material. So when you get the bag, you kind of you kind of smush it all up, and it causes everything to get mingle in together and. Uh, the byproduct of the enzymes breaking down and the bacteria eating the stuff in the bag, the byproduct of that is sealed too. Bacteria tube. first. Yeah, basically. Uh, and we capture that in, in the grow room. But hey, I mean, you know, I've seen people use CO2 PPM readers, right? And I've seen some of them using these bags that you hang. And from what I can recall, I didn't see too much of a huge, you know, increase in the PPM. So um, it's one thing, if you're going to get into messing around with CO2, it's probably smart to get a CO2 uh, PPM reader. Um, just because that way, you, it'll give you the ability to know if what you're doing is actually working and worth your time and worth the ingredients. Because sometimes just buying a tank can be a little more efficient. Uh, or in bigger grows, like I said, generators you, you can use that can pr produce a mass amount. Uh, either way, for most people that are growing indoors, um, a lot of the people are using fresh air and that works, you know. So uh, if that's the case, you just keep doing your thing and bringing fresh air into the grow room. Uh, and that kind of brings me to the next topic, uh, really, that we should start kind of moving through. Uh, and that's airflow. Uh, you know, another big thing, uh, airflow in a couple of different uh, regards, you know, moving around the grow room or the grow tent, um, you know, keeping the air uh, moving so there's no stagnant patches of air. Uh, and then, of course, fresh air that's coming into the tent. 
so, you know, if you're using a closed system, you're really not going to worry too much about air that's coming in or out of the temperature. You're going to worry about having fans inside that are going to keep moving the, um, the, the leaf surfaces around uh, and encouraging those stalks to get nice and thick so they can support your future weights. Um, this little blurb is for the people that are using um, fresh air coming into the tent. Uh, and a lot of the times, you know, airflow can be based upon the temperature in the tent, right? So you can adjust based upon temperature. But generally speaking, you're going to want a um, an inline fan that's going to move about 150 CFM for a 2x2. If you have a small 2x2 two two tent, so 150 CFM, that's cubic feet per minute. And that's how most of, uh, or that's how all of the, uh, the the fans are rated. So you would basically take your length by width by height, multiply those numbers together, and uh, you, that's going to tell you how many cubic feet, uh, per, uh, cubic feet you have in your area. And then you can match that up to um, one of the fans that they sell. Some of them are 4-inch, some of them are 6-inch. Um, but for the most part, you're going to want something about 300 CFM for a 4x4 four four, uh, and 400 CFM for a 5x5. Five five. And one recommendation, right? Uh, if you're going to be using a carbon filter, which a carbon filter basically it uses activated charcoal to remove all of the cannabis uh, aroma from the air. Uh, if you're going to be using, they're quite popular with home growers, and if you're going to be using one, uh, you need to take that into consideration because once you install one to your inline fan, it's going to dramatically reduce, usually by 40, 45% in that range, it's going to reduce your airflow. Uh, so it's always recommended to purchase uh, one that, uh, you know, an inline fan that moves more air than required. So after you install your carbon filter, you can still move the air uh, necessary for your environment. So just a few things uh, I wanted to talk about uh, there. And, uh, you know, as if you have lots of airflow in your grow tent and all of the all of the fan leaves are consistently moving under the airflow, uh, it makes it very difficult for powdery mildew to set in because your leaf surface is constantly moving. So that's super important. I just wanted to hit a few of those topics. Pache, you uh, brought me on to the AC Infinity, which I'm currently using. What led you to kind of purchase that one? I think I may have asked you this offline before. Not sure if I did it on a show. Um, well, you know, one of the things I am really enjoying about growing, like, I'm just a, coming up on my uh, on my first year. And I am the type of person where I love to research all my purchases. I love to research all my decisions. I love to just throw myself into it. And that's part of the fun, right? Um, I love learning all about it. And I just, I get a little obsessive. <laughs> and I really spend too much time. And so I, I wanted something that was quality. Because quality is, you know, one of the most important uh, things with me. And... So I wanted something with quality. It needed to control. And again, I know controlling the environment is everything. And, you know, I needed something that controlled the temperature and the humidity as well. And um, the AC Infinity seemed to be very popular with the reviews I saw online. And uh, and so, yeah, I took the plunge and I ordered a 6-inch. And it it's fantastic, I have to say. Um it's it does exactly what it promises to do um y you know the only thing I, I sort of wish and i don't know how you would ever be able to do this but um you know it will tell you 
it gets too high and the fan will come on. Um, but let's say the temperature gets too low, a fan's not necessarily going to heat the um, environment up for you. Right. So it's although it's there, you can't solely rely on it. It's just a tool, and like any tool, it has limitations. But I, I, I really love it, and I, I do recommend it. Yeah. These were, um, these AC Infinity fans, I did a little bit of research on the company when you first alerted me to them, and th- they were making uh, these fans for other applications, and they started directing their inventory towards cannabis because the market was demanding them, actually. So from what I uh, had researched, they didn't, they're working on software that's going to improve the usability of their devices specifically for cannabis, but they're just not quite there yet. So this this inventory that we that we purchased is is directed from other applications, not specifically for cannabis. So I just wanted to kind of that's great news. Yeah, and so when that when they come out with that uh, with that upgrade, we are going to be looking forward to testing that out for you guys. Yeah, it's just a software thing. That's all it is. Oh. We already have the ability to you know with all the hardware. It's just a software oh, programming it. thing. So uh, more to come on that. It's probably already out there. Uh, if we get into research in that. But um, one other thing I wanted to talk about here as well uh, is air pressure, right? Um, doesn't really, I guess, matter too much if, uh, you know, if um, you're just drawing uh, air through and you don't really care about the cannabis odors, and that's fine. If that's what floats your boat, by all means, uh, th- that's definitely something you can do. But not everybody's in that situation. <laughs> no, that's right. Most people want to minimize the, they don't want to broadcast it to the neighborhood that they're growing cannabis. And when people kind of pop over for a visit, they want to not really have that on display. Um, and I get it. So, you know, for the most part, uh, if you're going to be uh, worried about the smell, you're going to need a carbon filter. Uh, and if you're going to be using a carbon filter, you're going to need a negative air pressure in your tent uh, or your grow room for that matter. Um, for the most part, the easiest thing to do is to use passive air intake. And all passive air intake means is if you look at the bottom of your tent, they have little uh, rectangular flaps at the bottom of the tent, usually on two different sides. Uh, those are passive air intake holes. Um, so basically, you know, it'll just allow the air in as needed. Um, what I like to kind of do is have, a, when I zip up my tent, I kind of like to have the walls of the tent slightly start to incline and that just kind of validates that I have a negative pressure. Um, and I like to keep it just pretty much at that range. So it, it, that involves me turning down a fan speed controller to find the sweet spot, um, which is somewhere around medium on the large one that I have. Um, but yeah, so maintaining a tiny little bit of a negative pressure, you'll see that by the walls of the tent slightly moving in. Uh, and what that does is, is it's forcing all of the air through the carbon filter and reducing all of the smell. Uh, if you're having humidity problems, your carbon filter is become, is going to become less, um, less uh, efficient and you're going to start to smell, get, get a smell. Uh, so you'll have to get your humidity under control. And uh, these things lose their efficiency over time as well, I just wanted to say. And sometimes you can take them down and shake them a little bit uh, and uh, restore them temporarily to, to, to work for another grow. So just a few... Get the charcoal moving around yeah, a bit. Yeah, exactly. Get the surface of the charcoal. Um, do you know why they use charcoal? 
because it absorbs the smell? Yeah, and the surface area, if you look at a piece of charcoal under a microscope and look at the surface area on a piece of charcoal, they're extremely jagged, and there's a ton of surface area, So the, and it's absorbent. So it was a perfect combination uh, for for this application. So just sweet, just a fun fact. Um, and then of course, you know, we've talked about airflow, we've talked about air pressure, we've talked about the environmental controls for temperature and, and humidity, you know, um, one thing kind of left here, uh, and uh, you know, we'll put it on our environment because, you know, it's something that's important and it's something that's needed. Uh, and, uh, you can have all of your other environmental metrics in check. And if you don't have this one under lockdown, you're not going to have much success and that's nutrients. Um, you know, myself personally, I have been using the Diablo series, the micro grow and bloom. Um, I read some great reviews online for Diablo and because they're a Canadian company, uh, again, not sponsored by Diablo nutrients guys. Um, but because they were a Canadian company and because they did a lot of years of research and development into these products before they actually hit the market, um, you know, I, uh, really, my research really led them, them to me. I purchased their series, uh, their micro grow and bloom. And then I purchased the monster max, which is the beneficial bacteria, um, aspect of the nutrient system as well. Uh, I've had some great success when Pache reached out to me. Pache, hey, first thing I said, Diablo, here you go, and I sent you the link. Yeah, and I was really struggling with some uh, cal uh, calcium deficiencies and magne- uh, um, cal mag deficiencies, and uh, you t- got me on to Diablo, and it was nice and easy. It you know for a first time grower, it was sort of perfect. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily have a whole lot of time to devote to getting the the feed schedule I, I couldn't really go organic it, this was just a lot easier for me and uh man i gotta say there's no complaints i you know a pound and a half my first grow with four plants and then uh basically another pound and a half my second grow with two plants like yeah, yeah those so are <laughs> i that's why i ordered the monster max and you told me about that yeah and uh and i just uh just got my uh, Diablo uh, carb, which is uh, liquid molasses. Yeah, so you uh, you've kicked this up a notch, you know. Yeah, well, I'm so impressed that I uh, I'm I'm not going crazy now because I you know you need to have your cow mag, so I, I decided to stick, go with Diablo, um, and of course the Monster Max. Uh, you know, the, I got to say the artwork's pretty cool too. Yeah, I actually love the uh, artwork. I've been shouting out uh, Diablo Nutrients on our uh, Facebook page. Yeah, we'll see if they uh, if they eventually scoop us up and say something. We'll we'll keep that uh, moving uh, forward. You guys can monitor the status of that on our uh, Facebook page at Plant Therapy Live. Um, but yeah, so Diablo had, didn't let me down. I was very quick to recommend it to you. It didn't let you down. Right. Not so at all. so this is probably, you know, of all the things we're gonna talk about on this on this podcast moving forward, this is probably the thing you and I believe in the most. I would say now the only thing because they have quite the product lineup now. Like it's crazy. Like they have so many products and so you get to a point where you start to wonder, like, is all of this really necessary? So I'm just sort of looking at what uh, you know, I started with the basic, the micro, the grow, and the bloom, um, and the cal, 
and um, and that got me through my first two grows, and now on my third, I'm looking to branch out a little bit on the Monster Max and the Molasses, the Liquid Carb, and uh, if that goes well, maybe the next grow, I'll uh, I'll throw in a little bit of frost. You know, and you make a great point there. I think that it's important that we just stop for a second and acknowledge this, right? There comes, there does come a point when when you're buying buying into the hype, right? And I've seen yeah. I've seen it happen with advanced nutrients. Um, you know, over the years, it's just, you know, the plants need certain nutrients, right? As long as we can provide the nutrients and some additional, you know, beneficial bacteria, I get it. Absolutely. Big fan of, of Monster Max uh, for that purpose. I kind of view that as the Canadian equivalent to HydroGuard for me because it's really helped me uh, avoid root rot. And in some situations, you know, I've had temp reservoir temperatures that have gotten high. So, um, you know, I, I do believe in some of these products. Are they all required? Well, you know, I, I guess that's yet to be determined. Let's see now if you layer into this pache and now you add something else and you're going to grow again. We'll see what numbers you hit this time around. And if, if you're you know, landing on the moon here, then maybe these are beneficial and maybe the cost is irrelevant to add these things to the lineup to get the results that we're looking for. So we'll keep everybody uh, closely involved in this moving forward. Uh, I know nutrients and what to get is a hot topic these days. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep everybody informed. Um, but CalMeg, yeah, that's a pretty standard one, right? Not generally in the very beginning, but, you know, CalMeg sneaks up on everybody. Uh, constantly see people posting in all the grow rooms and chat rooms and things online uh, with, with CalMeg um, deficiencies looking for assistance. Um, I'm, myself, I'm, you know, I went a different way. I'm using the base micro grow and bloom with Diablo. Uh, but I started adding a little bit of uh, a powder supplement called Cha-Ching. Uh, and something else, I think it's called Open Sesame. Please forgive me. I forgot to capture the actual name of it from the uh, from the package today before I left. But I think it's called Open Sesame. So I'm using a couple of, um, of you know, uh, phosphorus and potassium supplements there. Uh, and it seems to be working well. I got to say, with that mint chocolate chip this time around, that's the only difference between the last run and this run. Uh, is the addition of these products and wow so i'll keep everybody updated uh, on that as well uh you know and feeding the plants right scheduling that's super important giving them nutrients is one thing giving them the right amount of nutrients is another thing right you don't want to you don't want to get into giving your plants too many nutrients because you can shock them and you can cause lockout and then they'll start to show deficiencies and then you think to yourself hmm maybe they need more they food need more. maybe they need right that's a common thing oh geez it looks like a nitrogen deficiency i think it's going to need more let me let me up it the next time right you got to be very yeah, right. oh maybe they need more more calmag right and you got to be that that's something that you got to be very very close of right that's why you got to try to get a, you know you, you want to start low and work your way into it uh as opposed to just following nutrient schedules at 100 percent as soon as you crack open the bottle if you're dealing with smaller plants like for hydroponics generally we cut we cut the if that nutrient you can use in in soil and hydro uh we cut the amount in half and start there so just a few things just to touch on uh because you know it things can get out of control with uh with nutrients um and sometimes you know you, you like i said you burn your plants or you don't give enough and then your plants start to starve 
uh, you know, and then there's other things that can cause what look like deficiencies. Well, they really are deficiencies, but, but sometimes you're giving your plants the right amount of food and they're still showing a deficiency. And in your case, Pache, it ended up, you know, basically becoming a severe pH issue, right? Um, it's important to note, and maybe we'll get the, the graph and we'll put it on our website, but, um, you know, there's certain pH ranges where nutrient uptake occurs right uh and if you get outside of a, of a ph of for you know hydro it's about 5.5 to 6.5 if you get outside of that um even though there's uh, nutrients in the water the plant can't uptake it outside of that ph range that's why the ph range is is what it is for cannabis is because that's where the nutrient uptake for those nutrients and micronutrients occur um, you know, and in your case, Pache, we had a, so it looked like deficiencies, right? Uh, but it was pH causing nutrient uptake issues. And I th- can see as we were talking there, you've kind of located uh, something on the screen. Uh, but we'll put that information uh, on our website uh, moving forward. But it's something to point out. So, you know, it, you need to know what the pH is of your substrate that you're growing in. So you can do that by measuring the runoff. Uh, of the water and soil, um, you know, know what the pH is going in and know what the pH is coming out. Um, so it's important to know this because if your substrate is, uh, has too much of a high or low pH, then the nutrients that you're giving it are just being wasted and your plant is suffering. And until you identify that, it's never going to change. Um, so very important, right? Other things that you need to, you need to really look at and the things that you should be paying attention to when you're looking at your, your, your cannabis plants is, um, if you start to notice a deficiency, where is the deficiency? Is it on the bottom of the plant, the oldest growth of the plant working its way from the bottom up the plant, right? Um, is it at the top of the plant, which could indicate something completely different, um, you know, is it happening on the oldest growth, you know, are fan leaves starting to drop off the plant as you move around it and start working on it? Um, and you know, a lot of these deficiencies have a, a, a unique tell. So when you kind of notice it, you can say, okay, all right, I see that this is a, um, you know, nitrogen deficiency. So if I'm going to identify a nitrogen deficiency, the very first thing that I'm going to look at is number one, am I giving the plant nutrients? And if I am, then what is my pH? Number two, so if I'm giving my plant nutrients and the pH is within range, then I'm going to look at the PPM or how much nutrients I'm giving the plant. Uh, And I'm going to potentially up that PPM in the nutrient solution because the plant is not getting enough. But you can work through the checklist. Uh, and as you do that, you know, there's lots of resources online. It's very difficult for me to just go through verbally and just give a whole list of deficiencies and what they look like. You're never going to remember it if, uh, if that happens. Um, the biggest thing we can talk about is how to identify them, what type of things you're looking for, and then you can take that information to a search engine like Google. And there's thousands of resources online that show you uh, exactly what the deficiencies look like. So, and helps you identify them. Pache, you've got a great little system there for what, what do you do when, when you notice something is off? Well, what I do is first thing I do is I take pictures and I take pictures of the front, the top and bottom of the leaf. Um, and then I go to, uh, Google, I go to my, sit down at my computer and I go to Google and I go to, um, give me the top 10 or top 20 uh, well usually i'll do the top 10 uh, cannabis deficiencies 
and then I'll open another tab and then I'll st start with you know number one let's say it's calcium I'll go cannabis calcium deficiency and then I'll click on images and so now I've just got a database of calcium deficiency images and I start scrolling through and does this look like what is on my phone if no then I move on to the next one you know nitrogen phosphorus um, and I go right down the line until I finally stumble upon something okay hang on here we go this is this is it this is what I've got now I know what the problem is I can spend my resources on solving it right and I mean that's that's perfect right you're you're identifying what it is and you're using resources to to kind of sync that up with what, and, and identify that puts you in a situation you've diagnosed it now you can prescribe a solution right in 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 some cases maybe you've identified a deficiency because it needs more food you know and something like that is important to note if you're going to run that same genetic via a clone you know the next run that's important mm -hmm. information to know okay it's day yeah, yeah. you know it's day 27 of flowering and you know i've noticed this deficiency so next time uh second week of flowering nutrients are gonna i'm gonna up the ppm to, uh, to 200 you know ppm the next time around so my plant doesn't have to show me that anymore um, right. You know, and that's important information to log. And if you're, you know, if you've got the basics down and you're really looking to take your grow game to the next level, um, this is the information that you should be paying close attention to. And this is the information that's going to set you aside from the rest of the pack. So uh, let's share this together. Let's share our wins. Let's share our failures as we move through. Um, you know, but, uh, as we all kind of get together each week, hopefully we'll be able to share information and get some, um, habits down that allow us to identify the resources that we need at the time that we need them. Uh, and we'll be successful. So, um, we did talk about kind of how to, to get that information and you gave us an idea of the system that, that you need there. One thing I want to do talk about is, you know, if, if you have everything in check, and your plants are really starting to grow and they're really starting to take off, they're going to require more food. That's a given. So if you're sitting back and you're doing all the right things and you notice this time around, wow, are they ever growing this time? Like in a week they've doubled in size and another week they've doubled in size. You know, if you want to keep that momentum going, you're going to have to be paying attention to that because the bigger the plants get, the more food they're going to need. Uh, and that's just a fact. So you want to be standing there with those nutrients and micronutrients available when your plant needs it. Otherwise, you're going to lose that momentum moving and forward. Keep a journal. I highly recommend keeping a journal. Like I'm just bringing mine up here on the screen now. And yeah, so I have entries every day. <laughs> Exactly. And yeah. I color code. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, it's easy sometimes to kind of get back on track in vegetative growth, right? If you run into a problem, you've had some mm -hmm. momentum, you, you've, you know, the plants got so big now, all of a sudden, you know, the, what you've been doing for nutrients isn't enough and you got to take some time and diagnose that and then up your A game and then, you know, get them back on track. Sometimes you got that week or two in vegetative growth that you can afford to lose to, to get things back on track. You don't have that same grace in flowering. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also photo period versus auto. 
Right. Like, exactly. N- another great point, right? You got to think of this through vegetative growth through week one, you know, you that's that train going down the track and it's starting to gain some momentum, right? And then it's week two, it's like, boom, you're hitting all the things, you're hitting all the things, you're hitting all the things. And this train just keeps going and going. By the time you, you hit your first week of flower, you want this thing going strong, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be there, you want to support the plant, you want to allow that plant to gain the momentum that it needs and keep pushing, right? Otherwise, it's all for nothing. Um, you know, you, you know, we don't, we, we, we here's what we want to do here. We want to take average Joe and turn him into savage Joe, right? Ooh, I like that. You know, and, and, and that's the key, right? And paying attention to the finer details of this stuff is, is, is what you need to be doing in order to, um, take this to the next level. Pache, we still got a few minutes here. Let's get into styles are growing. Because, the, sure. you know, this is a big thing, right? We've talked about our uh, how to identify a deficiency. We've talked about our nutrients. We've now talked about the environment and kind of how to control that and the parameters that we set to kind of make cannabis as happy as possible. Now, once this is all going and the plants are in, in, in the tent or in the grow room, you know, we've got some options that we can do to help support the plant uh, with some different growing techniques. So you're going to review a few of them here. That's right. So uh, now I will talk a little bit about uh, a few different uh, training styles, low stress and high stress training. Um, And then I will talk mostly about what I like to do Um, because really it's our show. So uh, low stress is more like your your training. So typically a cannabis plant will grow straight up like a Christmas tree. And the top cola is going to be the highest quality, and the stuff on the bottom that gets the least amount of light is going to be the, least, the the lower quality. So what a lot of people like to do is they like to try to grow more horizontally instead of vertically. And so to, to start with that, they will start to bend the plant over. Some will actually, and I've seen uh, YouTube videos, some will actually like crack the plant so it's 90 degrees, and that is dangerous and insane but i've seen it work um and and the whole idea is you want to have more than one cola you want as many colas as you can have um, because that's where the quality is so you start with uh bending and tying so and uh you start you know touching and pushing the plant over um and you tie it down you tie it to the, the pot you tie it to whatever you can um and you also like to do something called super cropping, which involves sort of pinching and using your two fingers uh, your, of each of your hands and sort of twisting the stem of the uh, of the plant. Sometimes you can do it so much that you can hear a, a crack. And so that's the breaking of the inner herd, um, which is just a part of the interior of the plant. And now you, the outer herd remains intact. And so that's why the plant doesn't just fall over. But what happens there is it's almost like, and this is how I equate it in my head, it's almost like when a, a bone breaks and it heals and recal- and the calcification of where the, the uh, break occurred becomes very, very strong. And so it's the same sort of process or, or um, yeah, the same sort of process with super cropping a, a, a plant. And when you break the inner herd and it heals, uh, sometimes it will heal like a bit of a knuckle and it becomes very strong and it um it's it's just going to help the plant grow bigger and stronger and allow the nutrients to flow may i interrupt for um, one sec just, yeah, just because they sell these things now called lst clips 
I, I purchased LST clips. LST clips. I purchased some from a guy named Kyle in one of the growing sites. Uh, he 3D printed them and uh, shipped them to me. Mm. Um, they're great. I have to say, just to just, you know, just because you're talking about uh, super cropping uh, and uh, these things here, you just basically put the clip on and fold the stem around the clip, um, and they make the same knuckle, but it's a little less stressful than actually crushing you know the the branch like kind of what you were talking about which is what i do i i do that all the time but i just wanted to point out the fact that there are lst clips available uh if you go that's interesting yeah if you google search them you'll be able to find them and uh, good luck with them i've used them um i just wanted to interject with that sorry to knock you off your uh no, there. no, no. Uh, listen, it, it's all about uh, contributing to each other and uh, and learning. So that's fantastic. I'm, uh, you know, anything that you can find that's going to make your life easier with growing because it takes a lot of time and effort, man, right? Yep. So I, I think that's great. Um, and before I, I go on, uh, there's also something called um, like pinching and fimming. And fimming is an acronym called, uh, which means fuck I missed. So pinching and topping um so topping a plant is removing the top of the plant and you do that because you want there's little things on the side like the plant grows up straight and then there's two fan leaves that shoot out each side and right where the fan leaves meet the stem is uh growth you'll see leaves start to form and that's the auxiliary buds and those are going to be the new main stems. So you cut the top off the plant, and those two auxiliary buds are now your new mains. And they're going to grow, and they're going to be, um, it's going to be leading the plant growth from this point forward. Um, and so sometimes people will, instead of topping, they will go attempt a top, and then they will just about get it, but they'll miss and they'll only get maybe, you know, 75 or 80, 85% of the, um, of the top and they'll leave a little bit behind. Now that seems to be a bit less stressful than, um, just topping with, you know, pruning, um, shears or something like that or snips. And so the plant seems to do a little bit better with that. Now myself, I like to just top and each time I do, uh, I sterilize my tools you want to jump in there, right? Yeah, I want to jump in uh, just on fimming there because it's a technique I've used out outdoor uh, many times over the years. Um, one thing that sets fimming away from topping is not all the time, but like it's difficult to get a good fim, right? You don't hit it all the time. You can you can try to fim, and but you don't have a hundred percent success. But when you hit one. Let me tell you, what it does with the plant is actually crazy. It, it's like you topped all the other branches. So it causes all kinds of offshoots and shoots up and everything. It's like, but it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, look out. You know, it causes explosive growth. Uh, I've had that bite me in the butt a few times because it just caused the plant, the foliage to get so big. You know, it wasn't feeding it the right amount of nutrients at the time. All lessons learned over the years. Um also, though, when you hit a good fim, or if you're topping a lot, your plant is going to get a lot denser, uh, and you're going to want to make sure you keep thinning them out. Um, you got to keep that air moving through the center of them. The more you fim, the more you top, the more you manifold. Everything is going to you're going to cause a thicker, um, you know, uh, foliage within the plant in any of those methods. Uh, and a lot of these are used to support sogging. Or, uh, which is sea of green or scrogging, which is my favorite, which stands for screen of green. 
Um, it's also my favorite now too. Which is the next topic I think you're going to talk about there, Pache? Yeah. So um, I use a combination of techniques and I use topping to accomplish something called mainlining or manifolding, which is a style that sort of has been created by a, a guy called Nug Buckets, which I highly recommend you check out um, online. And so what he believes and what he uh, has sort of proven actually is you want not tall plants, but sort of short and wide plants. And if you look here, so this is a picture of my four recent uh, plants, my purple kush. And this is just before I topped them. And so there, you can see that, you know, there's nice healthy leaves. They're, they're growing. They're looking nice and bushy. Everything was looking perfect. And then I come along and I do this. And I cut the top off. And then I cut all the leaves and auxiliary buds off underneath it. Like this is a this is this was really radical and for my first time growing it was really hard for me to sort of do it and but I had faith that this was the right the right style and so what happens is the auxiliary buds when the canopy is full all the bud sites are all equidistant from the roots and so the nutrients will all travel the same sort of distance to get to all the buds. And the idea here is to make the canopy uniform. And so it's supposed to increase yield and increase the quality because more bud sites are hitting the, uh, the photons from the light. So this is what it looked like before. And so let's see. It's crazy to see. You know, it is. In the beginning, I, I when you were telling me about it, I was like, oh, you might want to, hmm, who's this guy, you know? <laughs> you might want to think about that, man. You just, let's get your first grow on, uh, under your belt first. But yeah, this paid off for you big time. It's something that I'm going to get into trying as well. But to see it actually happen on the screen is just, it's something else. Um, you know, like you say, it's difficult to do, right? Um, to fresh babies, but um, the results, especially when you don't, it makes have sense though. It makes background. it makes sense, right? Because I can see exactly, but by, by creating the theory sound, yeah, by creating so many main stems in the very beginning, then yeah, absolutely, the the nutrients have will all travel the same distance. That makes perfect sense. Definitely uh, worth more than just a few minutes of a, a, a of a thing in a you know tonight. This is something we're going to talk about at length. And this photo here that's on the website, I mean, this is the end result, right? So this is what uh, topping and manifolding did for me right here. Right. And so this is me just starting to tie these. You can just see where I'm using two garden ties to tie down the auxiliary buds that have now grown about an inch and a quarter. And these are going to be supporting, you know, hopefully pound, pound and a half type flowers. Um, and so I'll keep bringing up some, uh, some photos here. So there we go. There's another little bit more of a close up. And so I just, you know, I slowly, I, I held on to the base so the base doesn't, didn't break. And I just very slowly started to bend it over, then bring it back, bend it over, then bring it back. And when you start to do that, the plant, the stem will start to work with you and it'll start to slowly bend over easier and easier and easier until it'll let you basically bend it over horizontally. 
And so, and then I've got the garden ties there to, to keep it like that. And the, the older it gets, the, the older the plant gets, the sort of more, the harder that stem is going to become. And I won't need ties anymore soon. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to keep uh, throwing photos up here. So you can see the uh, pest strips, the diatomaceous earth. And so I'm now training all of these plants. So you can see the main stem has now been cut. And now I've got two main stems that I'm now training to go grow horizontally. And so eventually these will sweep up. I'll top them again and then I'll top them again. And then they'll eventually uh, grow into this great big net, the net of joy. Awesome. So more to come on these weekly updates. We'll be looking into these pictures uh, as we move forward. And definitely we're going to talk about manifolding. Um, we're going to talk also about scrogging and, and, and sogging uh, again. We just wanted to hit the basics in the very beginning here just to kind of get it out there. Um, but as we get through these 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 um, podcasts with, with a lot of the, the starting information, we're going to hit all these points first. We're going to talk a little bit about them. Uh, and then the most important things as we move forward, we're really going to drill into those with some more in-depth discussions uh, and get to the point where we can start to bring in uh, other growers as well, uh, which is something that we're going to look at after getting some more uh, of these episodes recorded. Um, just to get some different perspectives, some different styles, uh, and to share uh, information with everybody that may be listening. So it does look like we've ran way over time here tonight, Pache. Oh, yeah, wow. Two, That's fine, though. Two, two Gabby Cathy's here. So um, I look forward and I'm excited now to look at what we're going to muster up here for next week, but we're going to keep things moving forward. Maybe what we'll do is we'll talk about micro growing and we'll talk about uh, gorilla growing. And then maybe, yeah, maybe next week we'll just break down manifoldings, sogging, scrogging, micro growing, gorilla growing, uh, and uh, find something else to add to the mix. Um, just to touch on these topics, everybody knows, uh, the information that we have here. Anything else you can think of last minute for tonight? Uh, no, the only thing I really want to know, and I know you're not going to mention anything tonight, but the big news, what, what is this big news that's going on? Well, we'll see. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll just keep moving forward. I know you don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Hey, we'll see. We'll just, uh, we'll keep going. It looks like we picked up a sub on, um, on Twitch as well. Uh, four gathers shout out to you. Just wanted to say thank you for the sub on Twitch. And welcome. uh, So next week we're going to get back on track with the time frame, Paul, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Anniversaries only come once a year. All right. So we are going to be live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 8 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time. Uh, once again, my name is Ray. And I'm Pache. And you can check out our website at www.planttherapy.live. And we will talk to you all again next week. Take care. Have a good week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.